From The Advocate magazine, in partnership with GLAAD, I'm Jeffrey Masters, and this is LGBTQ and a As we've often talked about, the history of trans representation in Hollywood is not great, to say the least. It's usually inaccurate, inauthentic, even dangerous at times. And while we have had a large number of trans stories on screen in recent years that really deserve to be celebrated, the vast majority of these depictions do center around trans women only. Probably the biggest exception of that is Boys Don't Cry, where Hilary Swank played Brandon Tina, a trans man who was the victim of a truly brutal murder. Now that was in 1999, and since then, that's been about it. There have been small roles here and there for sure, but nothing since has reached mainstream audiences in the way that Boys Don't Cry did. That is just one part of why I find Brian Michael Smith's role on the TV show 911 Lone Star to be so exciting. Brian plays a character that defies stereotypes. He's a hero, a fireman who is also trans. The character's gender is acknowledged and is part of the story without it being the only interesting or defining aspect of him. So Brian Michael Smith is here to talk about all that today and more. Let's hear it. So not only is it historic to have this black trans masculine character on such a mainstream TV show, but I think it is equally important, and has to be underlined actually, that this role is a fireman. He's a hero, and he's not built on cliches that we've seen typically. What was your reaction when you first read the script for it? When I first read the script, I mean, even before I got the script and I got the um, audition notice, and, and I'm telling you, I would have been excited for just a, a guest role on on 911. And I get the email and it's like series regular audition for 911 Lone Star, you know, a, a trans firefighter who is from the Midwest, a roughneck and is, you know, being recruited down to like join this new ragtag team of, of elite firefighters. And I was like, are you kidding me? This is exactly what I want, you know? So... I mean, I was just excited just by the uh, character description. I mean, we've come a long way in how characters are even described in the breakdowns for auditions and uh, how respectful they are, how much they understand, you know, the difference between a trans man and a trans woman or someone who's non-binary. I didn't think there would really be a day when I would be able to play a trans male heroic character as a regular, you know what I mean? Oh, and you thought that because looking at the history of film, there literally hasn't ever been a character like that, ever. No, no, no. And I mean, one of the amazing things about working on Disclosure was I got a chance to revisit some of the things that I saw growing up and then things that I hadn't seen before. And as I looked through just hours and hours of film and clips from TV shows, I realized like there very rarely has been actual trans men characters represented until you know, the late 90s with Boys Don't Cry. But even then, the, the director had described the character as, you know, you know, a female-bodied person who wanted to be a male and all this kind of stuff. You know, she's re retracted that. But most of the representation that I had seen were female characters, women, who decided to cross-dress as a male for some sort of gain. So it was like this, you know, women's empowerment story in trans male packaging. And at the end of the day, you know, once, you know, her love life was on the line or, you know, once she got what she needed or she proved that she can do anything, she takes all the male stuff off and becomes a woman again. You know, there was this whole belief almost that trans men don't exist. You know, it was always just kind of like women in disguise. So I thought either I have to just continue to play cis male characters or just, I don't know, I never thought that it would come from 
a television show, a series regular role on a network television show. And in your career, you've played a lot of police officers and security guards and now a fireman. Does that speak to your essence and something that casting directors are picking up on? Or is that more about how black men are viewed by Hollywood? No, a lot of that honestly came from my own conscious decision. Like when I was in New York, when I started doing background work, I was like, well, they always need cops in New York, especially. They always need cops for for background work. And this one actor that I met who's a professional background actor was like, hey, if you get your own cop uniform, it pretty much pays for itself. You're always going to get work. And he was right. I remember uh, in like, was it like 20, 2011, 2012, I was like, I really want to be on Orange is the New Black. But the only regular male characters on Orange is the New Black are security guards. So I'm like, okay, well, I want to be a security guard. So I, I got a picture in my like cop uniform, uh, the headshot. I went down to, you know, Jen Houston's casting office and I, I went to drop it off. And, the, you know, they're really receptive. They're really nice. And, you know, they're like, you have an audition? Like, I don't have an audition, but I'm, I really you know, want to work on the projects you guys work on. And they end up calling me and not for Orange is the New Black, but for girls. And so my first, like, I guess my break into like TV, my first speaking part was playing a cop on girls. Those are really amazing roles, as you said, to build credits and work your way up from like the small roles to the bigger roles. And I think my worry there is that for other trans actors in Hollywood, it seems like we are really reluctant to cast trans people in roles where, where their gender doesn't matter. The cops, the front desk workers, the coffee cashiers, it seems like we only want to cast trans people in trans-specific roles. And so then we're denying trans people the ability to like build up smaller roles to then get the bigger roles. Right, right. And, you know, I think for me, I had the privilege of that choice to disclose whether or not I'm, I'm trans, you know, so I had the privilege of being able to just play cis characters because, you know, I walk into the room and unless I have a conversation about me being trans, unless I put on my resume, I have that choice. And not every, you know, actor who's trans or non-binary has that experience because of how, you know, they present or, you know, they express their gender identity. I feel like actors such as myself and, and other actors who, you know, have the privilege of that choice, they are showing Hollywood that you, you can cast us in other things and we can tell other stories. You kind of cut yourself off at the knees when you pigeonhole people into what you think that they can do based on what you know about what you think you know about their experience. You know what I mean? Yeah, it just seems like your career has kind of been like the exception in that regard, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, Trace Lissette has done some, some amazing things. There's a lot of actors who, who, have, who have been able to do it, but not that many, you know, and not enough. So I'm hoping that the trajectory of my career can sort of serve as proof to Hollywood that we can do other roles other than trans roles. And that's something I really like about Lone Star is that they allow my character to just be who he is, while other times exploring, you know, his trans experience and giving room for that as well. And with Lone Star, to my knowledge, there's not a trans writer on staff or anyone else who like works behind the scenes, I believe, who's trans. And I bring that up because the portrayal of the trans man is authentic and responsible. And I just wonder how much influence do you have in that? Something I love about the team on uh, Lone Star, because you're, you're right, there, there isn't anyone who is trans in the writer's room. And they like were aware of that fact. So the door was open for my input. You know, what was going on in the, in, in the first script that I saw, I had a couple of uh, notes and they were like, well, t- let's, let's see it. Let's, let's go. And then, you know, they made these adjustments. So I was like, okay, this is, this is good. Would it be great to have someone who's trans in the room? Certainly. Yes. Yes. But that's the next best things to have people who are aware that, you know, hey, I'm not of this experience. 
I am a creative person. I'm going to do my best based on the education I'm providing myself. They were as educated as they could be before I came into the room. So it wasn't like I had to sit there and like explain and, and, and do much. They're, they were very knowledgeable, all things considered. And so a lot of what I brought then just came from my own experience as a relatively binary trans masculine person. So that was that was that was great. And so with that first script that you went to the writers and said like, hey, this doesn't feel right. Can you give an example of one of those lines or something? Yeah. So the way my character is sort of introduced is, you know, he's a man of not too many words. Then the following scene, it's like this really nice kind of intimate scene with him and uh, the captain. But the opening line has, as, as it was written, was my character's just going on about, you know, I have acne because of the medication that I'm on. And, you know, he's like being very specific about, you know, hormones and this, that, and the third. I'm like, in no way, in no world would a, a, a trans man in a new environment who's coming from an environment where he was experiencing discrimination or like animosity for being different, would he be that open and forthcoming with someone that he does not really know? Like, you know, it's an open locker room. There's other people walking around. It's like, I just, we're just not doing that. And then just in ter- like I and like, you know, just me personally, unless I'm talking to someone of a similar experience, another like trans guy who is, you know, trying to navigate something around, you know, dosage or whatever. It's not a conversation that I have. I know people who have been my friends for like 16, 17 years. And it's like, I've never talked to them about my like medicine protocol. You know what I mean? It's just, you're not volunteering that information. And so it's like, as an as an artist or someone who's working on a television show, it's like, hey, we are introducing this character and like his experiences to middle America. And I understand why you want to throw some things in here around. There's a ways to do it that make more sense for the character and for the experience. And it's just more authentic. And, you know, they're like, oh, okay. And, you know, they listen and we were able to like work the dialogue in a way that was more authentic, but still presenting some new information, you know, to the audience that I felt like was educational needed to be heard. In that scene, it's between your character and Rob Lowe's character. Your character then has the line and says, people tend to tiptoe around me. Mm -hmm. Is that something that's been true in your life? You know, for me, not as much. And I think that's because of, you know, me being transmasculine, having a choice on whether or not I disclose or not. You know, people tend to kind of take me at face value. And then the timing shift where perhaps if I had transitioned or, you know, kind of went through my experience, even just a generation earlier by generation, I mean, you know, five to 10 years, I would have a different experience than I'm having now. The general population is way more knowledgeable and way more accepting for me anyway. You know, so my experience hasn't, I haven't had that much tiptoeing. The tiptoeing that I have experienced was, you know, kind of earlier on where people didn't know what to make of, you know, like me physically like changing and shifting in the environment. Cause I went back to my hometown, you know, after uh, college and, you know, was like kind of going through a lot of the changes there. And so there'd be people who like, Oh, I kind of knew you from before, like not really sure what to make. And like, they don't want to be offensive. So they are kind of, and that's the tiptoe in that experience now where it's more like, I just more like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And I'm like, you know, I'm pretty secure in where I am because I've had the, I've been safe in my transition in my experience. So I have a level of security that I don't feel like a lot of other trans people get to to have, especially trans women, especially black trans women who are not as safe as I am. You know, if somebody has a question, I'm a little more like, okay, sure, we can we can talk about this. If it's not if we have some sort of relationship and it's not unnecessarily personal. But I feel like that comes from again me being a trans masculine person who is relatively binary, who has been safe for a, a, most of my life. 
It's so interesting about how just visibility for trans women is just 10 times more in culture and in the world. So that translates then to like a limited understanding of trans men. I, I guess in my mind, people have like such strong opinions and assumptions about trans women and then like almost none about trans men. That comes from like being in a patriarchal society where, you know, there's just this value of manhood and masculinity over femininity and, and, and womanhood. So the public just like, why would a man want to become a woman? And it's like, well, first of all, men don't become women and women don't become men. Trans people are trans people. And that's just we just are who we are. But the value that's placed on masculinity, I think, makes it way more difficult for trans women to be understood and find acceptance and makes their transitions more sensationalized. You know, so there's a sensationalism that comes with a trans woman's experience that you don't necessarily find with trans men who are binary and do relatively binary masculine things. We all grow, we all transition in different ways in our lives, and hopefully we'll get to a point where things are less sensationalized and that there's this lessening of personal offense and violence that comes, you know, with a trans woman's experience or a trans woman's uh, desire to to be who she is in transition. I don't know. It's it's very sad and infuriating how people tend to respond to trans women, you know, with with the violence and with the, the, the level of discrimination that they have to face. And I actually hear that being talked about more and more about all the violence and discrimination that trans women face. But what I hear less discussed is that while trans women face higher rates of violence inflicted by other people, trans men face higher rates of violence inflicted on themselves. And I wish that like that was also part of the conversation, that we can discuss all these things. What's challenging, and again, in a patriarchal society, you know, that values this antiquated version of, of this idealized masculinity that isn't really a thing. It teaches men and masculine people to hold their feelings and to hide their feelings and that there's no space for the feelings or that masculinity is, you know, and, and being a man is the answer to all your problems. And then the, just the pure anti-trans discrimination. I think if you have to take those three factors, this is why you see a lot of the self-harm within the trans masculine community can be very isolating, especially when if you do get to a place where you have a choice on whether or not you you disclose, if you feel like you can't safely disclose because not every trans man is safe when he discloses and is out, you know, so then it's just another thing that you're carrying by yourself. And so I can can definitely understand why the suicide rates and the self-harm rates are so high for the trans masculine community while the outward violence is experienced more by the trans feminine community. And what you said about the need to disclose and like, you know, when that happens or doesn't happen. I think that there's a kind of a remarkable scene in the first season of Lone Star where your character gets a love interest and, you know, has to decide to disclose and does after he goes on a date with her and she ultimately turns him down. Mm -hmm. That doesn't have a happy ending. What was it like to shoot that scene? It was a lot. I mean, it was one of the things that was like uh, the kind of challenge that I felt like I was looking for as an actor and as an and, a, and an artist, especially, you know, pulling from my own experiences and then like pulling from experiences that I don't have, but that I am aware of because of my connection to the community and the other people that, you know, I, I'm in concert with or just the stories that I've heard, you know, worked at the LGBT center and, you know, worked with a lot of like young trans people. And even though my own personal experiences did not necessarily mirror my characters, I was able to sort of tap into that and lean into that. And I felt like it was really well done in terms of how it let the audience take a walk in Paul's shoes. 
Because there's this belief oftentimes that, you know, people who are not trans have like, you need to just tell. You need to just, you know, if you're, you have to tell somebody. And it's like, you never know. And I, and I was really happy that we got a chance to like have that, have that conversation take place in the, in the show. This is one of those things that, you know, the writers really like let me, you know, talk about where I was like, this kind of rule of three thing, this, that kind of came from my own experience. That's what I sort of like made up where there was a period in my life where I was getting very upset and a sense of betrayal because I would muster up the courage to disclose to someone that I trusted. And then they would tell someone else, even though it's like, that's not your thing to tell. And I don't know what whoever you tell is going to do with that information. I trust you and what you're going to do with the information, but I don't know what so-and-so is going to do with that information. And as a young person who came up with uh, Boys Don't Cry as like the only trans masculine story that I know, well, what happened when people that, you know, Brandon Tina in real life found out, like they would try to chase them and kill, you know, and, and, and kill them. And eventually that's what ended up happening. So there's this sense of, of betrayal and frustration that, that comes with that. And then I had to just say, you know what? It's one of these things, in order for people to process, by and large, they have to have the conversation with somebody else. So I just need to know that if I'm having the conversation with someone, I'm having the conversation with probably three. This person, the person they're going to tell them, probably some other person that I don't know. So I need to gauge my level of safety. I need to know what's going on. I need to know that that's what's going to happen and just be on alert that I, I just had that conversation with somebody and this is what's going to happen. So I was really happy that they were able to put that into the show so that other people who are not of the trans experience can can keep that in mind, that when you tell, you don't know what the person is going to do with that information. And it was kind of remarkable that the show gave us that backstory conversation before we saw the conversation. I think that they pulled off something so nuanced, which is that your character is not hiding or ashamed of being trans, but it is something that is private. And just to pull that off on like a mainstream TV show again, which is like probably introducing a trans man to like America for the first yes. time. Yeah. I think it's really, really like incredible. No, it, it I mean, I'm, when I tell you like these, these are the kinds of stories that I would like to tell. And these are the situations that I feel like I went through everything that I went through in my life to do this, to, to bring me to this moment so that I could do this. That conversation said exactly what needed to be said. You see that, hey, I'm having fun and I want to have the conversation. I'm not trying to hide something. I'm just trying to figure this out. You know, a, a minor line change that made all the difference in the world was after we go bowling and she kisses me, you know, just for me personally, it's like, I always want to have a conversation with someone before it gets physical. And so she got physical with me first. Like, I want to have this conversation with you. And I believe there was a way that the line was originally written that made it seem like it just felt like Paul was being a little deceptive. And I was just like, can we just change it to like, hey, there's something we haven't talked about yet. And it just, it felt so right. And, you know, and I really love that instead of showing the conversation, we went to commercial and I let the audience think about what would you say? And so they had to, and they had to, and they had to sit there and think about what would they say and how did, how would they talk about themselves? And like, how do you, how do you disclose something that that's, that that's personal and you don't know what the other person's experience is and what their point of view is going to be or how they're going to take it and there's feelings involved. I love that they did not show the conversation and left it to the audience's imagination. Yeah. Do you know if the character was supposed to be trans all along in the script? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. I asked that because Ryan Murphy, one of the co-creators of 911 Lone Star, also right before this show did Pose and got to know so many trans women. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know if that experience led him to want to put a trans man in his next project. 
I think so. I mean, I, I you know, I'm not entirely sure, but I know that Tim Minear has been very, you know, who's uh, kind of like the, he's the maestro of, of uh, Lone Star for like, for sure. And, you know, I think he really wanted to populate the world with people of all backgrounds so that we can really show the humanity and the things that, you know, even though we have these labels and we have these ideas about diversity, it's like you, you really need to know what it's like for people in, like to walk into their shoes and to see how they navigate the world. And, you know, we could talk about trans people. We could have guest trans characters all you want. But when you have a regular character, you grow with that character. You take a journey with that character over time. And that person's in your house, you know, every week. And that has a different impact than, you know, the, the one-offs. So I, I think that they were very conscious about about that. I mean, we were talking about how many more roles and just heightened visibility of trans women. It, it kind of feels like Hollywood learned a lot of really hard lessons, like portraying trans women and transitions only for years. Mm -hmm. And now they're kind of getting it right with putting trans men on TV for the first time. No, they are. I mean, it's been a, it's been an incredible year. I think uh, the Glad Report came out and there was like, you know, 11 trans masculine characters across TV and just seeing like these characters like showing up, you know, either on like on the OA, you know, uh, Elliot Fletcher on, on the Fosters, you know, for, from a couple of years ago. But just like slowly starting to see characters of different ages and varieties, you know, Leo Shang showing up on as a series regular on the L Word, you know, like in rep changing the representation there, you know, Theo Germain on Work in Progress. I mean, it, it's just been an it's been a beautiful, beautiful year in terms of trans masculine representation and to just see like how much has begun and then like where is it going next and that is brian michael smith you can see right now on 911 lone star airing on fox and then i'm kind of out of my mind excited to tell you that our guest next week is the living legend miss major griffin gracie I think that Miss Major is the most famous and celebrated trans elder alive right now, and for good reason. So make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast that's coming next week. And while you're doing that, please leave a comment and ranking on Apple Podcasts. Things like that really do matter and help our show, which is why we ask every week. So thank you so much to everyone who's done that. And thank you to everyone who's going to in the near future, like right now. All right, we're brought to you by The Advocate Magazine in partnership with GLAAD. Come check out all of our amazing work at advocate.com and glad.org. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and I'll see you next week. Bye.